we'll start this um, Advent candle lighting with a scripture reading. We'll stay again with Isaiah. Um, and so if you want to turn to Isaiah, we'll be in chapter 7, verses 10 through 16 this morning. Um, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey, and by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, for before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in, <clears throat> dread will be deserted. This is the word of the Lord. Um, <clears throat> if you aren't familiar with um, ancient Israeli history, you'll maybe question who is Ahaz? Why is the prophet asking the king to ask for a sign? Why not just show the sign? And you have in this particular passage of scripture um, a person who at this point in time is ruling over Israel who um, has not really been following the way of the Lord. And again, we have uh, from the first week of Advent this example of your behavior and how you have been living really um, helps to inform whether or not you should be afraid or glad when the Lord comes. And so you have the prophet who shows up and says to the king, you should ask for a sign from the Lord. And the king says, no, I know who I am and what I've been doing. And so, no, thank you. I don't need any signs from the Lord. Um, and there's this, I think, very comical moment where he sort of knows that for the Lord to show up and to be present at this particular time is not good news for him. And so he refuses, and the prophet immediately recognizes that and says, well, of course you're not going to ask for a sign because you're a dum-dum. You've been doing the wrong things, and a sign from God would mean bad things for you. And so he immediately then moves to this sign, which if you're a bad king and a son is born, who is supposed to be the new king, that is not very good news for you. A king who will come to replace you is immediately to be born, is the message that the prophet gives. It's not a king to carry on your legacy or to be like you or to mimic you or to continue your line, but to upend what you have done and to bring justice and peace, to be present with the people. And his name is Emmanuel, the one who will live with the people, God with us. It's a testimony against those who rule in an unfavorable way. So there's this immediate sense in this particular passage of scripture that change is coming. There's a changing of the guard, literally, in this particular passage. And so as we come to the Advent candle lighting, 
This being the fourth week is uh, an emphasis on love. And so how does this particular passage describe what it means to be with and anticipating and hoping for a loving God? Obviously, for most of us, and something that we repeat often in this particular season of Advent is the name and character of God, Emmanuel, one who is with us. I think often in this particular season of, and I'll, I'll ask later on in the sermon time for your own examples. So I'll, I'm going to give you this and then some time to think about it as we light the candles. Um, but <clears throat> I think often of what it means for kind of the Savior breaking in and coming um, of the Lord of the Rings. And it's very beautifully rendered in the Two Towers movie. Um, and you have this scene where there's uh, the imminent collapse of goodness. And the orcs are sort of knocking at the door of Helm's Deep and about to break through. And it looks like all is lost. But they remember the promise that help is coming. So on the fifth day, at the first light, look to the east. And you have this really sort of epic moment where Gandalf is standing and the sun is rising behind him and he says, the king stands alone. And then this sort of horde of uh, warriors kind of rides up behind him and they say, no, he's not alone. Help has arrived. And they ride in in this sort of epic moment and sort of shift the tide. And that's the same sense that this particular passage wants to give us, that for love to be expressed in a grand sort of way or in a minutia sort of way, there needs to be presence. And there's sort of this dichotomy in this particular passage, as well as in the Lord of the Rings story and so many others, where really love just means presence. Whatever your disaster or help that's needed, it means that someone else needs to come to be with you. And so as we hear this particular passage and as we light the candle of love along with joy and hope and peace this morning, we remember that love is a God whose name is I am with you. I am the one who is present in your time of need. I am the one who sees the injustice and comes to lead you to a different situation. So we light the candles, remembering that this is the kind of God that we tell stories about, that we remember, that we long for in this particular season. And so the language of wait on the Lord or hear the Lord or um, make a way for the Lord um, is really... <clears throat> embedded in this season to help to answer the question, why not yet? Where are you, Lord? When will you do what it is that you say you have promised to do? These are all questions that were being asked then. They're questions that many of us hold now. And it's a reminder that God has been, God will be, and God is faithful, even in the moments of our distress. So we light the candles this morning and remember God's love for us.
last week when I was <clears throat> lighting the candles for our table church at Heirloom, I could not light the candles, and it took me a very long time. So this morning I was very nervous about lighting the candles. Um, we will read a gospel portion of scripture this morning, um, but before we do that, or as we prepare to do that, um, as promised, I'm going to ask, what are, um, when you think of savior narratives or stories about um, someone coming in to, to be present um, or to be um, sort of swift in administering justice, what are the stories, what are the images that that calls to mind, um, what are the examples that you think of when we talk about stories of um, transformation, particularly in that saviorly sort of way? <clears throat> What's up? Ukraine. Ukraine. Very particularly relevant example this morning. What other stories do we think of? When I first started pastoring, I wondered, why am I here in this hospital room with this person I can't help at all? Mm. And the Lord finally, after a few weeks of doing that sort of thing, said, uh, I can heal everybody here. Uh, it's Pastor Tim was retelling a story uh, of sitting with someone at a bedside and feeling helpless. Um, as the person wasn't immediately better or healed. Um, and just being reminded that um, God spoke a word to him, that uh, Jesus also and God has also not healed everyone, and that being present um, was the call in that moment. So thank you for sharing that. What other stories <clears throat> come to mind? No other stories? Um, <clears throat> one of the stories that comes to my mind is from the movie Lars and the Real Girl. If you haven't seen it, um, I do recommend it. It is a story of someone who um, has a breakdown. And um, to help them cope with the sort of crumbling of their world, they uh, adopt a doll. And it's very clear to everyone in this person's life that the doll is not real. Um, but this person begins to project all of their fears through this inanimate doll that he takes with him everywhere. Um, and so if you sit down at the table and he's offered something that he doesn't maybe like to eat, he says, oh, you know, she doesn't want to eat this. It's not, it's not her favorite. Um, it really upsets her, her stomach. Or if it's late at night and he's invited to go out, oh, she's, she's very scared of the dark. She doesn't want to go out. She's socially anxious. Um, you know. <clears throat> and so it, it's a way for him to sort of be honest uh, about all of his struggles without actually needing to be vulnerable. Um, he can sort of project onto this doll everything that he's feeling or thinking um, as a way of kind of shielding himself from whatever it is that he's dealing with, uh, but can't fully deal with. And um, as he's surrounded and accepted by his family, 
by the people at the church, by the places where he works, um, and is given a place to be vulnerable and truly safe. He begins to sort of uh, let down his own guard, and the doll gets more comfortable. Um, but eventually, he gets to a place where he really has to deal with his own breakdown. And the doll gets really ill. And it's obviously a metaphor for sort of his need to project everything through this doll. And he's saying the, the walls are coming down, and she gets really ill um, as the metaphor for his own sort of healing. She is getting ill, but he is becoming able to be himself fully. Um, and so the doll is in bed, very sick, and these women come over from the church, and they just sort of sit down, and they start knitting. And there's this really significant moment in, the, in conversation where these women are just sort of knitting and present, as you know, Pastor Tim was describing. They're not doctors. They're not bedside nurses. They're not um, able to really do anything for the doll to make her well. Um, but they are present. And in the moment that he realizes that um, it really doesn't matter what the situation is, he's not alone, this, the main character, Lars, has the conversation. And he says, why are you here? Why are you just sitting here knitting? And, she, and the woman responds, that's what we do. We're here. Whatever the situation is, we're here. And so you have this sort of moment um, in the story, and it's very soft, and it's very gentle, um, but it's very obvious that the community is going to be there in every situation, real or imaginary, um, whether you're projecting or it's, you're able to really deal with whatever it is that's going on in your life. And <clears throat> you have this beautiful sort of transformation where it's OK for her to die and for him to fully be vulnerable and sad and to really wrestle with him with his own breakdown. And so that has become a really, I think, powerful, at least for me, story uh, or way of like imagining sort of the more tender moments where um, presence is just enough, when it's enough. Um, it doesn't always fix immediately in the way that we would want things to be fixed. But it is enough. And you have that thread, I think, running through some of this scripture as well, that God is present with us. And yes, be hopeful. Yes, desire peace. Yes, be full of joy with the good news. But also, sometimes love is present even in all of the waiting for that to come to pass. So now we have this particular passage and hear it with that in mind from the Gospel of Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her 
is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a couple things along with the story that I want to point out. Um, <clears throat> you may have noticed in uh, two, I think, distinctions in the translation from the Old Testament Isaiah passage and the New Testament Matthew passage. And that is in the Isaiah passage, it just says a young woman shall bear a child. And in the New Testament passage, it says a virgin will bear a child. Um, and there's some obvious translation stuff that's going on between Hebrew, which has a word that they use for young woman or maiden or damsel or um, young girl. Um, and then in Greek, they have uh, a very similar word, but it often means virgin. And so a lot of times the translations are different in part, not because they're misquoting the Old Testament, but because you're reading it in two different languages. So you have young girl or young woman in the Old Testament, and then you have virgin in the New Testament. And there are lots of discussions about Mary and all of that that can be had. But just know somewhere in your brain that they're not misquoting the Old Testament scripture. They're just quoting it in a different language. Um, and so there's some translation stuff. And then secondly, you'll also notice in a lot of the Old Testament scriptures, when they talk about Emmanuel, they use an I, which is the Hebrew way of spelling God with us. And in the New Testament, they use Emmanuel, which is the Greek way of spelling it. So again, you have just these little translation things. It, it is not meant to necessarily imply anything different about the, the character of God. Um, but there are, again, these little translation things. And I point that out because <clears throat> I know that some people, as they go back and forth or are reading and comparing, can sort of get stuck on the minutia of these things. Um, but I want to point that out so that we can focus on the overall uh, sort of understanding of why this particular passage continues to be meaningful to us, both in the Old Testament passage again in the Matthew passage, and for us. Um, I really loved the way that one of the commentaries put it this week. The major point in these stories is not to stick us in an endless debate regarding the manner in which the Messiah will be conceived, but the providential timing whereby a child would be born precisely when a people's fortune had reached their lowest point. This particular scripture remains significant for us and in this season because for many, this season can be heavy. It catches us every year um, in the middle of transition. Um, and some of that is just the cultural rhythms we've built around Christmas um, to be preparing not only for the birth of Christ, but also for hosting family or hosting guests or traveling. Um, some of it is the busyness and the rush. Um, some of it is the longing to be with family who's no longer with us. Some of it is um, unmet expectations and 
singleness or loneliness. Um, so there's lots of reasons that this particular passage for us remains a reminder that even in our lowest point, God has been, God was, and God is with us. Even in our moments of heaviness and of darkness, of longing, of wishing things were different. And that God's love is expressed in holy presence. Why are you here? Why would God be with us? I had a professor um, who would always say, hell can't be that bad of a place because even Jesus can be there. And it was a funny way of saying, God is with us in the darkest of places. And whatever your circumstances are, have hope. Hold on to joy. Continue to be a person of peace and of love because God is with us. As we <clears throat> go through this particular season as a church, not in the general sense of what the scripture might say to everyone, but to us in particular as a church, it may also feel like a low season. It may feel like the promise of God to bring us forward and to be with us and for us to sort of have this image of the church as a thriving and hopeful and joyful and peaceful place might feel like it's at a low point. We're in transition um, and we've come through a really hard season um, with the rest of the world. It's not just particular to us. COVID happened to everyone. Um, it may not be clear what the next steps are or how we will get to the next season or even through this particular season. And so I just want to encourage us this morning that even in this time, every year at Christmas, we will be reminded that the name of God is Emmanuel, the God who is with us, even in discouraging times, even in wilderness times, even in times where we might feel um, a lot of pressing up against our hope and wondering what it means for us to be at peace when we're trying to wrestle with what comes next. God is near. This is the consistent story in our scripture, and I'm here this morning to just remind you that God has been faithful. God is faithful in this moment, and God will continue to be faithful. The prophet, um, Isaiah, um, the gospel writer, and even me, as someone who is just merely here to say, I'm not here to be the expression of the work, but we are the people to whom God is coming. It's a very um, strange place to be. I'll admit that as a, as a pastor, um, to lead or to proclaim something when you're not really sure what comes next. 
And yet, <clears throat> this is the task for all of us. Um, not only to proclaim that God is coming, but to be assured and to find rest even in this particular season. My pastoral advice to us for the next couple of weeks as we have our Christmas service um, and Pastor Albert will preach and as we move to the new year will be to rest <clears throat> and to rest in an assurance. When you might feel um, discouraged to return back to this scripture or the scriptures that we've reread over Advent and to remember again, as I said in our first week together, it is okay to have questions. It is okay to be burdened and it is okay to wonder and to ask God, what's going on? Where are we headed? What is required in this season? What does it mean to prepare the way for you to be in this community? What does it mean for us to be together? It is okay because the answer in various situations in scripture, whether that's uh, a bad leader, whether that's under an oppressive regime, whether that's being liberated in the desert and sort of wandering around on their own, the consistent message is that God's name and God's character is to be with us. God's name and God's character is to be with us, even at our lowest point. To go through church transition <clears throat> hopefully isn't the lowest point either. I also would point out that we can have some perspective. Um, there are many difficult things about seasons of transition. Um, but we have endured just as a congregation, much more meaningful personal things um, side by side, and that this too is something that we can get through together. Um, but it, this isn't the hardest thing most of you have gone through as individuals or as a congregation. Um, and so yes, this is a hard season or it might be a hard season, but it's not the lowest. And so I would, again, encourage us to remember the times where we walked through difficult things together, through illnesses and deaths, through births, through transitions in our families, through separations. God has been present. And sometimes the presence of the other people sitting in this room has been enough. When... <clears throat> we were talking to our kids about coming back and just coming with us to visit and to be here. Um, we got to remember the many times you have been with our family. I remember one maybe lighter moment. I was ill, we had young kids, Meredith was at work, um, and the Rowanzons came over to bring me soup. Um, and I had a fever and was not appropriately dressed. But if you've been to the Sunnyvale Parsonage, there's a window right at the kitchen. And so there was no way for me to get from one part of the house to the other part of the house to be appropriate. So I had to call Rich and say, uh, don't stand by the window, please. Um, I was just in shorts. It wasn't a big deal. But um, 
it was just a funny moment where I felt terrible, but I knew that I was loved and they were just present. It was enough. And as uh, the kids, as the rounds on kids were walking in, I was telling our kids about, um, in those early years with kids can be difficult and Rich was so kind and we would just go to the park almost every week. Um, and we would take pictures or chat or just, he was present and it was just, it was enough. I didn't need a whole lot more than just somebody else to just say like, my kids are a little bit older, this too shall pass. <laughs> this isn't the lowest thing that will ever happen to you. You will have harder days even as a parent. But just getting through those initial sort of moments where you're just like, ah, this is, I don't know what I'm doing. And this is harder than I imagined. But it was enough. So that statement of it gets worse? <laughs> it can get worse. It can get worse. Okay. And, and it can also be better <laughs> at the same time. Um, I, I recall sitting um, in my office whistling. Um, and Carol Van Buskirk came in and said, my dad used to whistle. Don't stop whistling. It makes me sad, and it makes me remember him, but don't stop whistling, because it's a good memory, hard as it is. I mentioned to us before, um, well, the loss of parents for both Meredith and myself. You were present for us as a family. You've also been present for the birth of our second child. Uh, when we interviewed here the first time, I think Noah was having stomach issues. And we interviewed, and she was wailing. And in a moment that could be like really stressful, it wasn't embarrassing. Uh, there was nothing to be really embarrassed about, but it was kind of stressful. You're interviewing, your spouse is there, your child is there, and your child is not feeling well, and she's like screaming in the other room. And just the kind presence of the board was just like, okay. We can do this. I mean, like, if this is how we're treated in a really stressful situation, certainly we can be here. And you all have been and continue to be a congregation that knows how to be present well for us and for each other. For people who are moving into town, you've done a lot to make people feel welcome when they walk through these doors. And for people leaving, you do a lot to let them know that they're still loved. Whenever we go get our haircuts down at Miss Linda's, Linda Sprouse, inevitably she talks about a women's meeting that's happening or a lunch that she just went to with Regina or a phone call that she was just on or a Zoom meeting that she just had. And you all are just present with people and you maintain relationships so well. You all know how to be with each other and model this identity and character of God. That even in difficult or awkward or impossible situations where things might not get better, you have been hope and peace. You have been love and joy to me and to each other and to many others. Hold on to that in this season. Rest in that in this season. 
Know that whatever transition comes, God will be near, God will be present. Unlike King Ahaz, you have nothing to fear of God coming in and being present. He's not here to overthrow you or this place, but to bring comfort and future. And again, I don't know what that looks like, but I know that God is faithful and God will continue to be faithful whatever transition happens. Just reminded that God is near.